Good morning, SIBKL. I know you're watching this online at this moment, but if you're watching this um, at some other time or, or in a different part of this world, uh, good whatever time of the day it is to you. My name is Wayan and I am honored and, it's, and I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you today. The title of my message today is Arise and Build. Arise and Build. And it's taken from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. We're in a season at this point where, in, in, especially in Malaysia, and perhaps wherever you are around the world, that there is a rebuilding process that is taking place. In Malaysia, our MCO is now considered Recovery MCO, where we begin to rebuild, whether it's our businesses, whether it's our economy, our relationships with friends and people that we've been distanced uh, for such a long time. And we're rebuilding these things even as we go along. And what I think Nehemiah has to say to this is very, very pertinent. And so I believe that God has a word for a lot of you, if not all of us, because we're all in the process of rebuilding and asking God, how do we rebuild? How do we rebuild our spiritual walls? How do we rebuild our businesses in the manner that you would want us to? in a manner that brings the culture of the kingdom of heaven into earth, in a manner that gives us an opportunity to present Christ to the people around us. How do we do this in that process of rebuilding? When we look at Nehemiah, we will see the journey that Nehemiah took in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But I know it has impact and effect on all of us today. So if that's you, I just want to pray that God speaks to you and really encourages you as you are in the process of rebuilding. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 20 talks about Nehemiah's preparation before rebuilding. Not the rebuilding yet, but important steps that I think we need to learn in preparing ourselves to rebuild our walls. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 20. What I've done is I'm going to split this passage up into two portions. And the first portion is Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 16, which I would consider the personal preparation. And in the next portion, Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 17 to 20, which I consider or I call, I coin, the pep talk. You've got personal preparation and you've got a pep talk. So let's look at personal preparation. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. If, if you have the Bible with you, I encourage you to just open it up, read it along with me, uh, in, especially if it's a hard copy. Uh, if we're going to go through it and let the Word of God speak to us. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. 
And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. There are three important things mentioned here that I believe uh, Nehemiah did in preparing for the rebuilding of the wall, which I think is very important for us. I hope you catch it too, because whatever it is that we need to rebuild, we need to take the same steps that Nehemiah did before jumping into the work. The first one is calling. We've mentioned this many times in our messages, but Nehemiah wasn't just doing something he thought he should do or he wished he could do. It was a situation where God had called him to. And we take this from Nehemiah chapter 2, where it says there in verse 12, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Nehemiah's passion to rebuild the wall wasn't just, uh, didn't start from wanting to meet a need or just, you know, for the dignity of Jerusalem. No, it wasn't just that. He actually started off with a prayer of repentance in Nehemiah chapter 1. And from that prayer of repentance and humility does he begin to see God's heart for Jerusalem. He says in his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 9, he says, If my people return and seek you, you will gather your people back from all over the place to a place where your name will dwell. And that's important for Nehemiah. He understands the words of the prophets and says, Lord, this is what you want to do. So, as Nehemiah, as a servant, show me what it is that I can do in the season to enable you to call your people back and let your name dwell there. And then when you look at this conversation with King Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2, you realize that when he said, I wanted to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that was the first time it's mentioned, like, I want to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Where did he get this idea from? I mean, it would seem like a very good idea. Because the walls mean something to the people of Jerusalem. It means its defenses. It means its dignity. It could also be that Artaxerxes, as a king, could have been open to the idea. After all, he sent Ezra back 13 years before this. And so he was fully aware of what was going on in Jerusalem and, and, and the heart of the Jews and, and, and wanting to go back to their homeland. Maybe it's a good idea. Maybe Artaxerxes would, would be open to it. Uh, but in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, we find that this is an idea that came from God. God had put it into Nehemiah's heart. And that's important. And, and where did Nehemiah get this idea from? Through prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1 is an entire prayer of Nehemiah in humility and repentance, coming before God and saying, God, you have said this in your word. Let it come to pass. And then just before he says, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, King Artaxerxes asks him, what it is that you want? Nehemiah says, I pray to the God of heaven. And this was the answer that God gave me. I want to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It goes without saying that this was God's call over him. Friends, let's ask God for his ideas. Not come to God with our good ideas and, and ask God for his endorsement. You know the difference between a good idea and a God idea? Very simple. A good idea isn't always God's idea. But God's idea is always a very good idea. 
So if you have no idea, ask for God's idea. That's very important. We're always asking God, we should always be asking God for His ideas, His thoughts, His heart, because we want to walk with Him. We want to participate in what God is doing. And, and, and we set aside all the things that we think are good or, or noble or, or wonderful and say, God, what, did, what is it that you want me to do? And when God tells Nehemiah what it is that he wants him to do, he obeys. He takes this four-month journey. Ezra took four months. So Nehemiah probably took around the same time. He took this journey all the way to Jerusalem. And this is not some working vacation. This is hard work he's getting himself in, involved in. But he's obeying God. He's obeying what God had called him to do. Friends, we have many good ideas. Birth from personal inspiration, personal ambition. We want to we build our businesses so that we have a story to tell. We want to do what's right for our employees. We, we have a lot of things that are in our hearts about where we want to place our finances, what we want to do with our lives and our energy and our time. And they're all very noble, wonderful, good ideas. But here's the thing. Is it a God idea? Nehemiah was open to a lot of possibilities of what he could do for his people. What God was calling him to do was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I want to encourage you, come to God. Seek God for clarity. Clarity in what He is directing you to do. Because it is in that situation that we are walking with God and what God wants us to do. And remember this, a lot of our good ideas come from passion and ambition and, and, and things that we want to achieve and, and personal ambition but come to God in humility and repentance. That was Nehemiah's posture, in humility and repentance. And in that situation, when we are stripped away of our pride, when we are saying, God, this is nothing about me, I decrease, you increase, then God can make his vision, his heart clear for us to follow. And when he does, we obey. First one, calling. Second one, consecration. And this is a very interesting part of, of, of the story of Nehemiah that I thought was, was, was really wonderful. And, and, and as I read this and I asked God, what was going on? And I, and I looked at previous passages of scripture, I realized this is powerful. It says there in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, that it says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. He was there three days and nothing is said about what he did during those three days. Sounds interesting? Sounds odd? Let me make it even more interesting for you. If you look at the, the return to Jerusalem or the, the journey to Jerusalem by Ezra, in Ezra chapter 8, so just keep your finger on Nehemiah, turn over to Ezra chapter 8, verse 32. Background, Ezra has left um, uh, Persia and he's on his way to Jerusalem and in Ezra chapter 8 verse 32 he has just arrived in Jerusalem. He says, we came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. Note that, three days. On the fourth day within the house of our God the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest son of Uriah and with him was Eleazar the son of Phinehas and with them were the Levites and then so on and so forth. So here's the thing. Both Ezra and Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem 
And for three days, nothing is said about what they did. So I thought about that and I said, well, God, what's up with these people? What's up with three days and nothing is said about what they did? I mean, if I was sent somewhere, I would get, I would hit the ground running, essentially, right? You, you hit the ground running, I've arrived in Jerusalem, first day, this is what we'll do. Second day, this is what we'll do. But for three days, both Ezra and Nehemiah did nothing. Why? Well, I, I tried to find some parallels to this, and, and, and the first parallel that came to me, and to, came to my mind, was, was the story of Israel after they had left the wilderness and were about to enter the promised land. This is found in Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua chapter 3, the two spies that Joshua had sent had already returned. Right? They returned, they told Joshua, this is what's happening. And they said, the good hand of the Lord is with us. Right? God is with us. Uh, we are gonna, we're going to do well. Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 then says that Joshua ordered all of Israel to move out of the camp where they were at in, in a place called Shittim and move to the River Jordan. And so they did. They got up, moved to the River Jordan, and then they stayed there for three days. Nothing is mentioned about what they did for the three days, except that on the last day, Joshua sends his, Joshua calls all of Israel and says, consecrate yourself. And this is found in Joshua chapter three, verse five. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We know from that story that on the fourth day, they crossed the River Jordan in a powerful miracle, similar to how God just parted the Red Sea, God stopped the River Jordan from flowing, and so all of Israel crossed the Jordan on dry land. Now that's powerful. But for three days prior to the crossing, they spent time consecrating themselves. Nothing is said about what Ezra and Nehemiah did for those three days. But let me venture to take a guess. They consecrated themselves. They prayed, they sought the Lord, they thanked God for the journey that God brought them through from Persia all the way to Jerusalem. And now they're saying, God, I am here. I know what you've called me to do is, 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 is powerful. It has spiritual connotation. It has a spiritual impact. It is going to be a, a very heavy burden that I carry. A lot of things are going to have to be done. Um, Ezra was going to teach the whole of Israel, the, all the Jews in Jerusalem about the, the, the laws of the Lord. And that was his role. That was what King Arthur says he's told him to do. Nehemiah, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This is no mean feat. And so they spent three days preparing themselves consecrating themselves. And Ezra walked into the temple on the fourth day. After three days of preparing and consecrating and, and repenting and, 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 and setting his heart right before God, saying, God, this is something powerful I've got to do. You've called me to do, but I'm going to prepare myself. Friends, in your rebuilding process, don't jump into the work immediately. Don't. Consecrate yourselves. For what you are going to do doesn't just have significance physically, but spiritually as well. Rebuilding the walls had spiritual significance for the people of God. And so it wasn't just physical, it wasn't just something you could see, something tangible, something visible coming up out of the ground, but it was something spiritual as well. 
And for us, whether it's in the marketplace or in the church, what God has called us to do does not just have physical implications, it has spiritual implications. We are bringing the kingdom of heaven to our spheres of influence. And that is not just something physical we do. This is a spiritual calling, a spiritual duty that God has put us through and called us to do. And he's saying, consecrate yourself. Prepare your hearts. Come before him in repentance and humility, stripping ourselves of our pride and our ambition and, and, and the kind of the crowns we wear and the, the visions we have of ourselves and say, God, it is you that I serve whether in my business, whether in, as, in, as in my work uh, as an employee, whether I work in the church, wherever it is, and say, God, this is who I am, bring myself humbly before you. Consecrate me, purify me, sanctify me, that I may be fit for the work that you call me to do. God is going to work through you. So let's have clean hands and a pure heart and come before God in repentance and humility. That's what I believe Ezra and Nehemiah did. Because for three days, nothing is said about what they did. They probably locked themselves in and said, God, this is me and you right here, right now. Prepare my heart. Third one, costing. Now, this is very interesting because I think all of us need to really look into this very, very carefully. The first thing that Nehemiah did after his three days of uh, a three-day pause was a reconnaissance. The Bible tells us that quietly, without telling anyone, he rides his donkey with a few other people who may not even know what he was trying to do, and then they start scanning the walls of Jerusalem. Any parallels? The first one I thought of was Joshua. In Joshua, when he was leading the Israelites in, out of the wilderness and into the promised land, and before they, they moved to, uh, from Shittim to the river Jordan, he sent two spies. And very interestingly, the Bible says he secretly sent the two spies. No one else knew. Joshua knew, and the two spies knew. He sent the two spies across the Jordan River into Jericho. Spy the land, the promised land, but specifically go to Jericho. And when they came back, they didn't report to the whole of Israel, unlike what Joshua did during when he was a spy in Numbers 13. They didn't report to the whole of Israel, the two spies reported to Joshua. The two spies reported to Joshua alone, and then Joshua made the decision, let's move from Shittim to the River Jordan. And so here's a situation that we all need to really remember, a lesson that we all need to remember. Get real. Whatever God is calling you to do is not going to be easy. If it was, God would not be able to show his power. But in that situation, we've got to learn to assess, to review, to know what we're up against. It is in that situation where we've got to know what our resources are. We need to know what needs to be prioritized. We need to know our stuff. Because we're going to be facing people, like in Nehemiah's case, that we need to convince. We're going to be facing challenges that we need to overcome. We need to know where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are. We've got to count the cost. And after counting the cost, we remind ourselves, yes, God is in the picture. God is in the picture. Then we get to work. Because by the time Joshua had sent the spies, it was 40 years since the first spy mission. And so Canaan was 40 years different from what it used to be. 
and he needed to have another look. And so he sent two spies and said, spy out the land for me, especially Jericho. And their report in Joshua chapter 2 verse 24, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They count the costs, they see the power of God and they have faith and believe that what God is going to do is going to be amazing, it's going to be powerful, it's going to be fulfilling His promises. And Joshua's faith was strengthened. Nehemiah got down to work, but before he announced his grand ambitious project, he assessed, he reviewed. Some archaeologists, when they, when they read Nehemiah and they try and study where he actually went, believe that Nehemiah didn't scan the whole the walls of Jerusalem, no. He only scanned the parts of the walls that were destroyed the worst. And then he remembers that the good hand of the Lord has always been with him and will be with him. Church, get real. Look at your financials. Look at the morale of your people. Assess the obstacles. Assess what needs to be done, the challenges and the, and the things that need to be overcome. And then surrender it to God. God will take care of it. If it's God's call, He will take care of it. But we have got to be on the ball. You know, there are many times where we feel passionate about something. I do. I feel passionate about things all over the time. All of the time. All of the time. Um, and we really feel that you know, God has called us to do something. You know, I know. I, I have a little book. In fact, let me just give me a second. Uh, yeah, there we go. I have a little book. And, and I kind of labeled it um, sort of like Wayan's Dream Projects. Right? And Wayan's Dream Projects or Wayan's Idea Book. All right? That's what it says here. Um, and basically what I've done is I've lifted, listed ideas that I've had in my mind um, over the years, things that I could do, things I want to do. And, and, and just because I was excited about it as a period of, in, in a period of my life. And I've tried to do some of these things. I've tried to um, uh, do some of these ideas and, 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 and see where they lead. Um, and sometimes I did them because I felt this was what God was placing in my heart. And so when I started or embarked on these projects, I, I went in with my eyes closed. I mean, well, if God's with me, He's going to guide me through it, right? And so He's going to help me through it. But I was not on the ball. And then it fails. It doesn't kick off. And I learned from those experiences. Because for some of us, time teaches us. For some, it just needed more experience. For some, it needs more diligence and, and due diligence. But God desires to entrust His call to men who are faithful and men who are diligent in the little and then are faithful and diligent in the much. So friends, we've got to get real. We've got to count the cost and then believe that God is with us all the way. Second part of this message is Nehemiah, who gives his pep talk to the people of Jerusalem. And this is found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 to 20. His announcement of the grand ambitious project. Let me read. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite 
and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. What do you tell a broken nation? What do you tell a broken people? And what do you say to those who oppose you? Three things that Nehemiah shows us from his pep talk. Firstly, from the past, build faith. From the past, build faith. Twice in this chapter, in verse 8 and 18, Nehemiah talks about the hand of my God, or the good hand of my God. And he then talks about how God moved the heart of the king of Persia to assist him in his journey and in his, in his project. You know, he declares it so that it is heard by the people. It reaffirms their faith in God. It reaffirms the promises of God to call back all the Jews uh, into this one place where his name will dwell. It reignites their faith in him. It shows how God has been with him. And because of all the things that God has done, as Nehemiah declares it, their faith is built. I mean, let me just break down for you the three batches uh, or the three or four batches of people who went back from Persia to Jerusalem and show you how powerful and amazing, in just a summary, God is to his people. The first batch uh, by Sheshbazar and by Zerubbabel, you'll see this in Ezra chapter 1, starts off with the decree by King Cyrus that says, if you're a Jew and you're in exile, you're allowed to go home and you shall be supported by the fellow men in your respective areas. And so almost 50,000 people went. Not just that they go empty-handed, no, they didn't just go empty-handed, they came with the vessels of the house of God that were in the treasury of Persia. It also came, they also went with, with free will offerings of gold, of silver, of animals, costly items, and so they went, and they went rich. And then in the, the, the second batch with Ezra, Ezra left Persia under the decree of King Artaxerxes, the same king that sent Nehemiah 13 years later. And when Ezra went back, the King Artaxerxes wrote a letter, and this is what he said about Ezra, or for Ezra, you are sent by the king. You're sent by the king. The king will give you offerings for sacrifices to God. And for the, um, the rest of the money, do whatever you want with the rest of it, as long as it's according to the will of God. He basically, Ezra, really got a blank check for whatever else he requires for the house of God. And then when Ezra passed the, the river, all the provinces beyond the river, as part of Ezra's journey to Jerusalem, there were treasurers there that received uh, 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 instruction from the king. And this is what they were supposed to do. Supply what Ezra requires of you. And there's, there's a limit, except for salt, but uh, you basically supply what Ezra requires of you. Obey Ezra because you don't want the wrath of God to fall on you. And you cannot impose tribute or toll on all the servants of the house of God that are passing through your area. How about that? Don't have to pay toll. As for Ezra specifically, the king appointed Ezra 
with the authority to appoint judges and magistrates who know the laws of God, to teach those who don't know, and to execute judgment on those who disobey. And that was Ezra's authority. Approximately 5,000 people went with Ezra in that batch. But the funny thing is though, in Ezra chapter 8, or 7 or 8, uh, Ezra did not go with an army escort. He was, it says, he was too ashamed to ask the king for an escort. I mean, I, I would think so, you know, if you, you've been given so much, you like ask for more. He was just too ashamed to ask for king for an escort. So all of them gathered together and they prayed and said, God be with us. And they went on their way. And God was with them. In Nehemiah's journey, he came not just um, with his items, but he had a special letter from the king that would command the ministry of forestry to provide wood for the temple, for the walls, and for Nehemiah's own house. And not just that, this time, Nehemiah went with an army escort. None of the other aliyahs or the, or the batches of people who returned to Zion had army escorts, but Nehemiah did. And you know what that shows the people of Jerusalem? When you come with an army escort, you have the backing of the king of the empire with you. The Jews are thinking about all of this, remembering they could have come with Zerubbabel, they could have come with Ezra, or they could come with Nehemiah, and you look at all the things that God has done, and you're saying, God is doing something amazing. And their faith is built. Their faith is built. Friends, remember the moments when God came through for you. The prophecies you've received, the financial provision, the healing, the protection that you've experienced. Don't dismiss them as chance, or luck, or it's gonna happen anyway. No, it's God showing up for you as we journey with Him, as we obey Him, as we follow Him. Will there be difficulties and challenges to overcome? Of course, but it is in those moments that we remember that God has always been with us, that the good hand of our God has been upon us and God will come through in all of those moments. From the past, build faith. In the present, build strength. You know, when all the, the people of Jerusalem heard of Nehem heard Nehemiah's pep talk, they strengthened themselves. They said, let us rise up and build. And then they strengthened their hands for the good work. As people of God, we are called to strengthen one another. As a church, we lend strength to our brothers and sisters in Sabah and Sarawak all these years as God has called us. But even right now, we are lending strength to churches and ministries that find it difficult to put their services online where God has called us. We're also lending strength to ministries who are out there serving the marginalized and the oppressed. And we're saying we're coming alongside you. We're strengthening your hands for the good work that God has called, it, called you to do. Friends, we lend strength so that we can all pursue God's call over our lives. If you're in a cell group, lend strength to your fellow cell group members. And if you're not in a cell group, join one. Join one and begin to lend strength with one another, from one another, for one another, right? Pray, encourage, give. 
And just like, you know, in Nehemiah's story, as they're rebuilding the walls, different families were assigned to different parts of the wall. And within those families, they, they helped one another, they supported one another. They said, I will be with you as we do what God has called us to do. And they lend strength to one another in cell groups, support one another, support one another for the work that God has called us to do. God didn't just call Nehemiah alone to rebuild the walls. He called the people of Jerusalem to do it together. They recognized it and they strengthened their hands for the good work. And thirdly, in, for the future, build hope. For the future, build hope. What did the future look like for Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem as they rebuilt the walls? It looked like opposition. It looked like people like Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and, and, and their people coming against them and saying, you cannot build this wall and, 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 and plotting to attack them. Even corruption within the ranks of the people of Jerusalem because of kinship ties and of money. The opposition was not trivial. It was strong. It was stressful. It was a powerful challenge that had to be overcome. But what did Nehemiah do in response? For the future, he did two things. First, he remembered the God of heaven. Friends, remember the God of heaven. I, I found it funny that when Sanballat and Tobiah would, would go up to Nehemiah and said, what is this that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah didn't go, well, the king knows, so too bad for you. No, he said this, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Go to the source, go beyond the natural, because kings can change and even a single king can change his mind, but God does not change. And so what he says will come to pass. He will bring it to pass. He is faithful. And so Nehemiah remembers that if his calling comes from the God of heaven, not from Artaxerxes, not from the people, not from his brother Hanani, no, if it came from the God of heaven, God will make him prosper in the work. But second, and I thought this was really important from the way Nehemiah responds, it is to silence the noise of the uninvested voice. Silence the noise of the uninvested voice. Friends, many people will say many things. Some are well-meaning, but a lot of times they're also designed to tear you down. And the enemy does this through people, through voices. He does this to us. But friends, we must focus. Focus on the voice of the one who called us. Focus on the voice of the one who invested in our lives so that we can pursue the call of God. Focus on the voice of God and silence the noise of the uninvested voice. As I close, let me encourage you. Many of us are on a season of rebuilding, of recovery, in our businesses, in our families, even in our own personal lives. A friend of mine right now as we speak um, is suffering lupus. And we're saying, God, bring your healing over his body, over his life. We're all in different situations where we require the power of God as we rebuild, as we recover, as we sort out our, our defenses and our, and our identity. 
And I believe God is directing and putting into our hearts these things that require rebuilding. Even for some of us, our family prayer altars. What do we do? How do we prepare ourselves for the rebuilding? First of all, recognize the calling. Consecrate yourselves and count the cost. And corporately, let us begin to build faith, build strength, and build hope. As I close, allow me to pray for you. If that's you and you're feeling right now that God has placed something deep in your heart that you've got to work on, you've got to rebuild, can I just invite you to place your hands over your heart as I pray? Father, I commit my brothers and sisters to you. As a church, as a nation, as a people, we are in that process of rebuilding. And so, Lord, I speak right now for clarity in your direction and calling. I pray right now and declare God-inspired vision will arise, that as we rebuild, we will always be led by you. Your good hand will be upon us, and because you are for us, no one can be against us. Lord Jesus, for my friends who are going through difficult times, may you give them faith and strength and hope. And I declare that over their lives right now. Lord, you be our all in all. And meet us, Lord, in our weaknesses and show us that your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, let us just continue to worship God right now as we surrender all of our lives to Him and the calling and the direction and all the difficulties and the struggles as we surrender it to Him. Say, God, meet me. Meet me here again as I offer all of this to you. And my prayer and hope is that God will bring you through and God will show you how He will guide you and empower you and make you prosper in the work that God has for you. God bless you. Some of you may have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible tells us that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved and you will have eternal life. Today, if you want to receive Jesus, why don't you follow me in this prayer? Father God, I confess I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, to die on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose on the third day. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me and accepting me as your child. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.